0: All right, we are back for another episode of. I guess we've never really named these. Roger, there are no. We we have Jerry no names. Show so <laughs> uh, another day of us talking Giants baseball, and it's the off season, so us talking baseball in general. How are you?
1: I you know I keep trying to crowdsource the name, but none of them, none of my listeners are helping out here. So uh, anybody has a good idea, I, I'm doing well, Carrie. It's it's finally uh, we had a little late September warming trend out here, and we're finally getting into that autumn weather that I like. It's kind of crisp and cool, and it feels like fall
0: baseball. I love it. How about you? Yeah, I'm doing okay. You know, uh, it's. I have to admit, you know, being on the East Coast right now, I'm headed back to San <laughs> Francisco for ten days in forty eight hours. I cannot wait. the The schedule is just terrible. Uh, I'm trying to watch Giants, or I'm excuse me, I'm trying to watch Dodgers and Diamondbacks right now, and it's like past my bedtime when those games are starting. When and how about you? I love listening to Bob Costas on the call. I know that he's extremely polarizing, but for a series where things are kind of thrown upside down you see the Diamondbacks' team speed taking over, you see the Dodgers pitching failures right now, Costas is having a field day with some of these calls.
1: Yeah, I'm, I, you know, Costas and Al Michaels were both like young young bucks when I was a kid. So the, I'd still like them. I still maybe put up with Costas more than... I like him. Um, but I mean, the man has a world of knowledge at his disposal, and and he knows how to use it. I mean, he's called every kind of game there is in every situation. So, uh, but yeah, welcome to the world of East Coast fanship. Um, I don't know if you made it through the 49ers game the other night, but just like everything starts at ridiculously late times and it, it really does wear on you after a while. So yeah, Great good play. luck to you go into the West Coast right when the playoffs start.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm very excited about that. And another year where uh, the Giants are not in the playoffs, another year where people are already asking you everything there is to know about the Arizona Fall League and what the Giants <laughs> be doing in free agency. So where do you want to start? Uh, MLB playoffs, free agency, fall league. There's so many different places we could go here.
1: Let's start with the playoffs. I mean, just big picture, what kind of jumps
0: out to you about it? Uh, To me, it has been very fun to see the underdogs thrive. And I know that there's been the conversation about the playoff format sparked in part because Ken Rosenthal wrote a big article Mm -hmm. for the outlet that I work for, The Athletic. And I think it's so funny that this took off on social media because it's just one column of the thousands written about the MLB postseason <laughs> shows you the poll that Ken has about the playoff format. Should we be changing it to favor the teams that win more games during the regular season? And here I am looking at one of my favorite teams that I ever watched, and that was the 2014 San Francisco Giants, that were a wild card team that had to scrape through throughout the playoffs. And I don't think anyone ever considered them the favorite, even though they, you know, were. Uh, two-time World Series champions at that point and thinking about you know the damage that that manager Bruce Bochy is doing with a Texas Rangers (laughs) team that I think has a ton of talent the Rangers are incredibly fun to watch right now and sure they won what 89 games this season I don't know the final number but the Rangers are a talented team and that's what stands out to me is they're loaded yeah I
1: what really stands out to me And I had a sense of this when I went up, when Kyle Harrison had his major league debut, I drove up to Philly for that. And uh, there was just such an electricity in that park. I mean, you can see what a home field advantage that is for him. But watching the playoffs, what strikes me is how many stars I am watching at their peak. I mean, it is fun to watch Bryce Harper and Ronald Acuna Jr. go toe-to-toe, those Phillies and Braves teams are so loaded with talent. It is crazy. I'm like, how do you guys get to watch all these people every night of the year? Um, And the same with the Texas team and even, you know, Minnesota watching what Carlos Correa has done um, impacting particularly on defense. Um, But the the quality of play is so high too. Obviously we're recording this. I don't know what day it is, but that crazy (laughs) Braves Phillies game last night that ended on Michael Harris's double play. Every element of that play was so good. Even the mistakes were kind of good. But yeah. the the thing that I keep watching when I see that play is the pickup that Austin Riley made on the overthrown ball, which was the key to getting that out. And it's so good. And it happened so fast. You just have to watch it over and over again to see how quickly he's got to pick that ball and throw
0: it up to make that play work. It was just incredible. Well, I, it was reminiscent of me a little bit to Derek Jeter and that flip at home plate, even though Riley is coming across the infield and firing all yeah. to Matt Olson. But think about that play. Who was the play? Was it Castellanos who hit the ball to yeah. right center field at that point? So Nick Castellanos hits the ball. Michael Harris, the second, tracks it down. Bryce Harper with the base running mistake. Austin Riley picks the ball up and throws it to Matt Olson. All of those players involved in that play would be the single best player on the San Francisco Giants. By far,
1: I mean, by by far, Um, I I, I don't know that I want to get into this because maybe it's not what we talk about, but I thought Harper's play was interesting in that it was sort of a calculated gamble Mm because obviously his thought process was if this ball drops, I'm scoring the tying run. I'm not going to wait for another good thing to have to happen to us um and it looked on the tv like harris had a track pretty much the whole way so that's kind of where i thought that was a mistake but i could at least see the logic what he was thinking it's like we're tying it up here if we're going to tie it up
0: yeah Um, absolutely and reminiscent of you know the the diamondbacks taking aggressive turns on the base pass all season long and that was put into perspective in that final series the giants played against the diamondbacks this season and i totally agree it's just I thought about some of those players, like Michael Harris II, who comes out of nowhere, basically, in the Braves farm system a few years ago. At least I hadn't been tracking him.
1: There was huge, huge buzz on him, really low. It started really loud. Okay, well, then I was completely wrong. (laughs) No, no, it was a a deep cut, (laughs) a deep cut.
0: (laughs) Uh, But what I'll say is Let's think about like best case scenario for Luis Matos or best case scenario for a Marco Luciano. Are they hitting the ceilings that an Austin Riley and a Michael Harris are hitting at the major league level? Because you've studied these guys, you've studied their progression through the farm system. And I think it's so critical that the Giants build from within and have this homegrown talent be established as part of their next core. What is that ceiling for these players that you've looked at? You
1: know, Austin Riley is a really interesting guy to look at because uh, there, was, there was a person who was a really young guy uh, who worked for the Augusta newspaper named David Lee, who was covering the Augusta team when it was a Giants. So I, I developed a relationship with him and he now actually works for the Braves. Um, and I remember he was the guy who was lighting a signal for Acuna when he was 18 years old and actually missed most of that year with injury. And he was like, no, no, this, this guy's a big dude. Riley was on that team too. And David's view on Riley was much more muted. It was like the bat's a little slow. It's a little long. There's huge power, but I don't know how it's going to play. And you remember when he got to the majors, he came up and he hit a bunch of home runs, which, you know, guys will do. But then he had a really fairly long period of struggle uh, where he was trying to adjust to how teams, attacked him and he really has improved himself at the major league level. He's a guy who got better, got a lot better uh, from, from somebody who you could see at one period, not to, not to compare these guys, but you could see something happening to him similar to like David VR, where just suddenly the strikeouts get out of hand and you start sliding out of a position. And that didn't happen because he, he changed things. He improved things. He worked on his mechanics on his swing and he closed some of those holes. So what can happen at the major league level can be dramatic. And that's that's kind of the setup, I want to say. Um, Luciano, I think it's going to be really fascinating to see next year. I uh, I don't know why my lights keep going on and on. But uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I think I said this in a podcast last year with uh, with maybe Mark DeLuke. Like there still is a path where he's like a 35 home run hitting shortstop which is a really valuable player no matter what else goes with that. And I think there will be strikeouts and I think the defense will be, you know, okay. Right. The defense needs to be kind of Corey Seager. That's who I've always comped him to as a shortstop. If you can play defense the way Corey Seager does, which is capable, but not better than that. And hit a lot of home runs and have an impact back. He's a really valuable player. I think we're going to see him be, he has always had, an adjustment period to levels. There will be a period where the MLB is kicking his butt. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And then we'll see how long it takes him to to find it. Matos is a different character because, you know, what the Giants keep saying, he's got to get stronger. He did not hit the ball hard enough this year. There's a lot of contact. Most of it's not good enough for the major league level. So we're going to have to see him find a way to hit the ball harder. If he can do that and then stay in center field, which is the other thing that really surprised me this year, that came out of nowhere. I watched him in the minors at three levels, and I said he can stick in center and hit enough to be a good player. Mm -hmm. If he can't stick in center, that raises all kinds of questions for me because I don't think he's ever going to have what you think of as a corner bat, right? He's not going to be a guy who hits a lot of home runs. He's just never been that player. So if he closes those two things, if he gets stronger if, you know, and adjusts his defense to, to the majors, which I think he should be able to. He's always had good instincts and gets a little quicker. I mean, he's got to get more physical. <laughs> if he doesn't, those are the things he's got to do to be a good starting major leaguer. If he doesn't, there's there are complementary roles for him that he can play and still be helpful because he's very good baseball IQ. But I do think there are questions right now as to if he's going to be a starter or not um i guess so here's my question for you kind of following on this what mark are the giants trying to hit in 2024 oh is it uh is it a mandate you know win or go home you've got to make the playoffs or this is over is it another
0: development year or a first development year what are they doing next year exactly (laughs) Well, I think that that is where this great crossroads that the Giants organization is at can be discussed and discussed forever, honestly. Like, we could talk about this all offseason, we could talk about this all of next season, and then we could reflect on it after next season. Because (laughs) I wonder if ownership's goals align with the front office's goals and – I wonder about you know who they bring in as manager and what those goals will be, because you'd have to believe that those goals will be independent. Someone who probably thinks that they won't just be here for one year, even though that is a distinct possibility when you're being sure. hired by a president of baseball operations who has just one year on his contract. I would say at the ownership level, it is to make the playoffs. And I don't think that the Giants ownership actually has higher aspirations than that right now. I think that they're Relatively realistic and knowing that, you know, an overhaul from a 79-win team is not going to lead to a World Series, but I think that the calls have been loud enough. The frustration has been, you know, so widespread throughout the fan base and is being reflected in their ticket sales that you've got to put together a playoff caliber squad. You've got to get to the postseason, generate some excitement. Now, with all of that being said, are they going to give the front office the budget to improve the roster in a way that would enable the giants to make the postseason, And I think that that's an open question because I don't know that this ownership group led by Greg Johnson is as committed to spending as say some of his predecessors, like a Peter McGowan, like Bill Newcomb were committed to spending and maybe even his dad, Charles Johnson, where the giants look at 2015, 16, even 17 payroll was huge. And they were up there in the top five, six, seven teams in baseball. That was not the case this year. So I think for the front office, for keeping their jobs from you know, Farhan's IDP Patilla, the general manager, it's gotta be a playoff mentality. Now, I don't know that the Giants' roster and personnel calls for that right now. Because <laughs> yes. once again, they're staring at a situation where, well, you've got to develop Kyle Harrison, you've got to develop Marco Luciana, you've got to develop Luis Matos. At some point, you have to let these kids come up to the major league level and let them adjust at the major league level. And that means prolonged periods of struggles and prolonged at times failure like you have to sit there for 20 to 25 games where Marco Luciano goes five for 60 next year with 30 strikeouts because there's <laughs> a realistic possibility that that happens over a 20 game stretch if he's in and out of the lineup and so that doesn't sound like a playoff team to me. And so so what do they do with this roster to get it to the point where you can, A, develop the homegrown kids who are going to be part of your future core, and B, bring in the supplementary talent to get you to the playoffs. And is it again an impossible needle to thread? It looks to me like unless you're landing Shohei Otani, Yamamoto, and Jung-Hoo Lee. By the way, I think (laughs) the more I look at Jung-Hoo Lee stats – Center fielder from South Korea, the more I think he's got to be on the Giants next season, even if it does inhibit the development of Luis Matos. Uh, but I just don't see an easy path to this frustrating era of Giants baseball yes. suddenly ending in 2024.
1: Am I wrong? I have I have a lot of thoughts that I want to respond to. Let me see if I can parse these out in any kind of coherent order. Have I ever done my spiel about the 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 2014 2015 royals with you no no you haven't so that club which is as good an example of a homegrown championship team as we really have almost entirely came up in one giant wave in i believe april of 2011 and gordon had been there a little earlier but you know Mustaka's, hasmer sal perez a bunch of the pitchers everybody started 2011 on that club they didn't have their first 500 season as a group until 2014. They had three and a half years of losing baseball as a group of really talented future champions, because it takes a while to figure it out. It takes a while to figure out how you perform at that level and then how to win at that level. Mm-hmm. So I agree with you. If you want a team that has Marco Luciano and Luis Matos and Kyle Harrison, and even, even Lee, even Jung Hoon Lee, um, Farhan said that Hasun Kim's success this year makes him a more viable free agent. I agree, but go back and look at Kim's first year. It wasn't that good. Even he will probably have an adjustment period. So if you're putting a bunch of those guys on the field, you are not gambling that you're going to be a postseason team, I don't think, unless some veterans really, really, really come through and help you. You're committing to some periods of some, some, some. Grown some growth work, I would think, Um, and I agree with you about the 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 budget too. That's a whole nother question. But the third question then is, how do you actually make over a roster that, as Farhan has already said, is going to have about twenty guys coming back? You look at all of these arbitration guys and the and the opt out guys, and every single one of them, you say, yeah, I'd like him back. But you put them together. And suddenly you've got you're back with this outfield with you know Hanegar and Conforto and Yaz and Slater. And where does Matos play? And where does Lee play? And you've got the pitching staff that's got Tescafani and Stripling and Cobb. And it's like, where I do you find where do you find room for the yeah? You can't run it back. And yet all these bodies are there. So what do you do exactly?
0: I, I think that now more than ever, to borrow a phrase that we heard on every advertisement at the beginning of the pandemic. <laughs> Now more than ever, the Giants need to trade, and they may be losing some of these trades. They may honestly be giving away uh, an Austin Slater or a Mike Isramsky or a JD Davis for pennies on the dollar for what they're worth and what they can get in return. But I think that you need to free up roster spots because I don't know what that looks like, and maybe it's maybe it's trading, you know, two outfielders in a. Yastremski and a Slater together for a young infield prospect. Maybe it's trading two of your pitchers coming up through the farm system right now and a Carson Wizenhunt and a Mason Black for an established center fielder. In Major League Baseball, I don't know what that looks like. I'm glad that I'm not in the Giants office. I, I'm, I'm, one thing I'm really good at is saying that they should spend a lot of money. One thing that I'm really bad at is actually figuring out who that money should go to. Uh, but I, I just I think that they need creative trades and to flip over a decent portion of this roster. And what that looks like is you know maybe you're trading a Luis Matos or a Wade Meckler. Maybe you're trading a Casey Schmidt or some of these up and coming prospects that you know, maybe you're not trading them at the apex of their value, but you are bringing in either a established major league talent who you can rely on and say, okay, this person's going to be our two hitter all season. Or this person's going to be our five hitter all season. And you build through free agency to find a leadoff guy or a three hitter and a Cody Bellinger. I don't know, but hypothetically speaking, the bottom line is there are so many players that yes, you just said, yeah, in their individual scenarios, <laughs> 65, 66% of the time, you think it's a good idea to bring them back. But on the whole, when you add up nine or 10 of these guys that are arbitration eligible and the Giants have the opt-outs on, you say, do we want all of these guys back? The answer is certainly no. So yeah. that's why I think you tender them contracts and then you go and you figure out your roster from there. And I, how do you look at it? Would you rather trade some of the arbitration eligible guys and maybe... You know, do the J.D. Davis and Mike Yastrzemski go route to free up opportunities for kids or are you packaging some of your prospects together to bring in established major league talent? How do you look at that?
1: Well, I mean, again, this goes back to the question I asked of what what Mark what who are they trying to be next year? Um, I will say I'm about to be invaded by a cat. Uh, <laughs> the idea of trading for a young controllable player is a lot easier than finding a young controllable player that any team wants to, to move, uh, yeah. because those guys are valuable. And the other thing that's tricky is, you know, I think the giants will look at just to take one example, one of these examples the Giants will look at Mikey Scrimpsy and say, yeah, he's a $10 million player. He's a good player. He's got value. He's a leader in the clubhouse. But then if you're trying to trade him to, you know, Cleveland or Cincinnati, they may say, Ooh, 10 million. uh, That's kind of a lot. Um, I would, I agree with you that just some pairing needs to be done and some opportunities need to be created. Um, I kind of look at Lamont Wade Jr. as a guy who, was very very good at times this year and overall was quite good but he's also now two years of physical issues have caused him a problem and he's i don't know what his age is but i guess he's probably close to 30 at this point so he may be a guy whose value will never be higher again uh if if his body keeps sort of breaking down on him I look at J.D. Davis as a guy I wouldn't mind moving. He's a he's a guy who has value to clubs, but I don't think a good club is necessarily giving him five hundred at bats. Yeah. Um, so I, I, you know, are there places where you can give these people better fits with other clubs uh, and get something back for it? Uh, I also would definitely dig into the minor league pitching. I don't think I'd trade Harrison because. no, I wouldn't either. Uh, one left-handers who get swing and miss like that are just valuable in this game. And the other thing is, I just know, I know that he's a guy who hates to lose as much as Logan Webb does. And I think mm-hmm. we need more of those players. Wizenhunt. Yeah. Um, Hunt, uh, yeah, Mason Black, some of that group, that tier, I would start dangling around for players, I think. Um, but I do think some some nipping and tucking
0: is necessary in this roster. So here's another thought. If you're going to keep Wisenhunt and, and you're going to keep Luciano, and I firmly believe the Giants should keep two of those players, if there's one other prospect in the farm system right now that you would say the Giants have to keep this guy because of his potential or what he could bring to the Giants by... At the very latest, the end of the 2024 season, it doesn't have to be someone who's at AAA right now, but someone who at the very latest is contributing by the end of next year. Who is a member of that group alongside Kyle Harris and Marco Luciano? Because I see it as there's a big glut of players who, they might be starters, they might be fringe players, we just don't know yet. I don't have anybody... You're the
1: prospect guy, Roger. No, no, no. What I mean to say is I don't think there is one of those guys. I don't think there's anybody who you can't trade Mm -hmm. who is ETA this year. I think if I, so it's, it's ranking time, right? I'm looking at my rankings. I'm, I say, you've got Harrison, you've got Luciano. And then setting aside a couple of teenagers, I don't, Think there's another 50 value guy or if there is it's a couple of the pitchers it's mason black it's wisenhut it's those guys but i think after the harrison luciano you start dropping down into that 45 40 grade and those aren't guys you have to keep right those are by definition not not starters um i think that you know the two teenagers are really bryce eldridge who is their first pick uh in this year's draft and got Is getting huge, huge reviews from scouts this year. And then Rainer Arias, who who they gave $2.8 million to as an international, and same thing, just came out and really proved out this year. Those two guys are separate, but they're not on the near horizon. So you could talk about them in big moves if you want. But if you're talking about guys who are going to be part of the club in the next year or two years, I don't think there's a must keep beyond – Luciano and Harrison. And I I don't even know if Luciano or I will put it this way. I would imagine they have talked about Luciano in trades before, and I don't think they would resist a trade. Well, I guess the beat guys actually said he was offered as a key part of a Sean Murphy, a potential Sean Murphy trade last winter. So I don't think they're opposed to moving him in the right situation. Although I think they're in a position where they need him to succeed uh,
0: next year. Uh, yeah, to you really look at the shortstop win. market right
1: now. And
0: it's bad. It's not, bad. It's not a good. Better value than Mark. Seriously.
1: No, absolutely. They're so. lucky. He's there. I mean, they, uh, hopefully he will stay healthy because uh, that's been an issue, but they are really lucky to have him right now because if, if there is a path to, being in the playoffs next year. Him being good is a huge part of that path.
0: Yeah, and, and I was starting to think about this when you were talking about keeping Luciano and keeping Harrison and then the group of prospects who you can say don't fall into the untouchable category because they're not a 50 future value player. And I was starting to think, I wonder if the Giants will make their decision on how they build their roster after the initial wave of free agency. And what I mean by that is, after Otani makes a decision, and I think that the entire market's going to be held up this off season in all likelihood by where Otani goes, because all these big teams that are going to want to be in on him are going to earmark that money in case Shohei Otani decides that he wants to come to their team. After that, I look at Yamamoto, Bellinger, Blake Snell, uh, Jung-Hoo Lee in this category that's maybe slightly above Matt Chapman. Maybe you include Matt Chapman. And, Think the Giants were able to get a Snell or a Yamamoto and you build your rotation with Harrison, Webb, Cobb, and then one big free agent star pitcher, then maybe you say, okay, our path to the playoffs in 2024 is – being a top five pitching team in all of baseball. And we're just going to let whatever happens on the offensive side of the ball happen from there. And then you can trade a Wizen hunt. You can trade a Mason black or a Tristan Beck and try and acquire someone who might come out and help you, whether it's, uh, you know, someone like a Dylan Carlson or another Northern California guy that the giants can bring home because that's what they love to do. <laughs> but I wonder if it's that. And if they miss out on a or a Yamamoto, maybe it's, building with a Jung-Hoo Lee and then trading some of these other players to sign a a Cody Bellinger and building on the offensive side, because I think they've got to lean in one way or the other, because if they go halfway on both pitching and with this lineup, they're going to be a 79 win team that is an 81 or 82 win team in the best case scenario next year.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. And I do think Yamamoto, if they're going to spend, you know, if they're going to shop at the top of the market, you know, and have it, the taste for spending 200 million on a pitcher which is not something we've seen from them in the past that he's probably the way to go um with the caveat of course that 29 other teams think or at least you know a lot of the competitive teams are going to be in on him at the top of the market too so you've got to outbid people which is not something we've seen from them i would you know i will say that one thing that is heading in the right direction and go back to talking about luciano again. Um, just in the past couple of years, when I looked at the team, I'm a believer that you need to be young and athletic up the middle of the field. That if you if you're old and slow up the middle of the field over 162 games, that's gonna kill you. Somewhere those weaknesses are gonna be exposed. So this year, you know, we got they got Patrick Bailey installed as their future catcher. And hopefully there's more offense than we saw this year, but at least you've got a good talent there. Luciano takes over shortstop. It's going to you know live through the adjustments, but there's a hitter there. Tyro Estrada is a good young second baseman. So now, if you can figure out center field, you've started to get an up the middle core, and you can think, well, is is that Louis Matos? Is it Jung Hoon Lee? Is it Bellinger? Uh, I doubt I, I I, it. I, I'm a little, I, I'm a little feeling the
0: risk there. Check, can my the day that Cody Bellinger was called up, I said, future Hall of Famer, Cody Bellinger, about to make his debut. If you go way, way back, yeah. Cody
1: Bellinger was the first, if people read my writing, they know one of my little uh, oddities is that I always want the Giants to draft the children of people who were Giants. Legacy <laughs> Giants. I'm always like, you got to draft the Legacy Giant. That's why I was mad they didn't get Tyler Soderstrom. Bellinger was one of the first of those guys where so I'm like legacy giant because his dad, though, he actually played for the Yankees, was drafted by the Giants. He came up through their system, a like, legacy giant, and they didn't get him. And, and see what happens when you don't get the legacy giant. It always comes back to haunt you. Um. Anyway, you get Lee, Montos, Mecca, whoever these guys you think you believe in as a center fielder. Now you've got, some athleticism and some youth up the middle. And now you can start building, you know, corner bats um and big pitching and, and try and figure it out from there. I think that's a that's a path to take.
0: Yeah. So one thing that we did at the end of the last episode that we did together was you asked the question, are the giants going to be able to see the forest through the trees? Mm-hmm. And one thing that I'd like to do is time's probably taken down. We probably got another 10 minutes here, we is do. For you to say something brilliant so that I can name this episode, uh, something like that. But in in all seriousness, maybe maybe we come up with a thesis here of the bottom line is something that you just said is the Giants need to build through the middle. And I think that that not only includes Luciano being great at shortstop or them signing a center fielder like a Jung-Hoo Lee who can just solidify the position, Patrick Bailey taking the next step offensively, but also on the mound, I think either A, they're going to have to sign a front end starter to put in the front end of this rotation alongside Logan Webb and potentially Kyle Harrison one day, or they're going to have to sign someone who can play center field because if they're going to compete, like the question we asked in 2024, what is the viable path to contending? I think you've got to solidify center field. And I don't know that Luis Matos is going to give you that right away.
1: Yeah. Well, first, let me just say, uh, if you're if we are relying on me to say something intelligent <laughs> at the end of it, this is not a sustainable form of success. So, sustainable I success. Our, I don't know if our window is open. Uh, if that's what we're hoping for, we're looking for um, a World
0: Series every year. We're not Jerry Depoto looking for a fifty four percent episode here.
1: Yeah. I mean, I am. I'm very interested to see how far in they are on Lee because I do think he would give you that kind of last peg. And I agree, you know, Matos did not look, Matas has always been a guy who played above his tools. Like he played a good center field, but he wasn't fast. And you you know, he's got great bat speed, but he wasn't powerful. So if the instincts aren't there, the speed's not going to make up for him. I don't know. I don't know what that looks like in center field. It might be more of a fourth outfielder profile, Wade Meckler is very fast, but I don't think he's a center fielder either. So finding that answer in center, I think really is a a big part of the future. What's interesting about that. I think I said this to you on KMBR one time is that for a front office that really believes in power everywhere on the field, they're coming up with a lot of answers that aren't actually power players. I mean, Pat Bailey's kind of a below average guy. Casey Schmidt is definitely a below average guy. Uh, Lee is not a big power guy. Matos is not. So at some point they're going to have to find outside of
0: Luciano, who definitely is, uh, some power bats too. Here, here's my other one. Because the Giants love to bring guys home. Andrew Vaughn, the Chicago White Sox should be trading everyone. Andrew Vaughn is coming home to the Bay Area this off season and playing some first base.
1: Yeah, the uh, the pride of uh, um uh shoot, uh, the, the what's the town
0: he's from? It just jumped out of my head. Petaluma, Petaluma, right? Petaluma. Oh, yeah, yeah. He and was he the second best player from Petaluma in that class? Spencer <laughs> Portal? <laughs> I always think of
1: Petaluma as the place that where American graffiti was shot. Uh <laughs> this probably because I'm very odd. Um <laughs> what do you I, what do you think the odds are? Is, is Yamamoto for your for your taste like the single best use of their their purchasing power they could make this
0: year? It depends on the purchasing power. I mean, honestly, like Otani to me is without... Well, quite, there you go. <laughs> but that's that's off the board. I don't think anyone can bank on Otani uh, because everyone's going to be in on him. You're writing him a blank check and who knows what that looks like if he's not pitching a few years from now. Yeah. But I think if you're able to get Yamamoto and then you're able to either trade for or sign a legitimate middle of the diamond guy then it's been a successful off season because you can win with a rotation of Logan Webb, Kyle Harrison, even if he struggles next year, even if the ERA is around four or yeah. four or five, I think that by the end of the season, he will be developed in a way that he can help you win games, Alex Cobb and whoever else they decide, whether Ross Stripling comes back and somehow miraculously takes down 120 innings for this team. One of my last actually, you know, one of my last, I think fears about the giants is that they won't be able to fill a hundred innings of 4.2 ERA ball. Like that's what Farhan can do. And it, yeah. is it sexy? No. Do fans like it? No. But the bottom line <laughs> is they consistently find a league average guy or enough league average guys to cobble together a 4-1 or a 4-2 ERA at the back end of that rotation. Sometimes it's bullpen games, but nevertheless, I think that The bottom line, if you're asking the best way to use that money, it's Yamamoto or it's Lee. And I don't see it being Bellinger. I don't see it being Matt Chapman. Maybe it's a huge trade for Mike Trout. But again, how likely is that? What about Juan Soto? Oh, yeah. I mean,
1: if if they have to get their payroll down and Soto is available and... You're not getting him unless you're giving up a Harrison or a Luciano probably. Would you do that?
0: I do want Soto and give up Luciano. I would give up Luciano. I'd give up What's it going to take? Uh, two of the pitchers, Mason Black and Carson Wisenhunt. Is is yeah, that a-
1: or 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 maybe like Keaton Win, right? Keaton Win, yeah, he's in the- wow. like that. A guy <laughs> with major league experience who might be a little a little more because again, they're going
0: to have all of these
1: arms. You can't Create spots for all of these guys. I would though. do
0: that deal as long as you're comfortable giving Juan Soto five hundred million dollars. As long as you're as long as you're making that trade with the understanding, not not necessarily the expectation. I need more than that. The understanding that you're going to sign him to a fifteen-year, five hundred million-dollar deal. Then I would do that deal, and I do it because Marco Luciano has back issues, and you can just go out and sign. There's got to be a shortstop available who is familiar with. Oracle park. Maybe you bring Brandon Crawford in for a season. I don't know. (laughs) I mean, it all goes back to what you said at the beginning. What's,
1: what's the payroll, which I don't think we really know. I mean, um, I think Ben Kaspik has been saying this over on, on locked on giants that, you know, the first two years of Farhan's time there, they cut it down about $40 million and they went up this year, but they went up by the exact amount that the one-time payout of the BAM technology gave teams Is it going back down? Is it going to stay where it is? Uh, It seems like there's a taste for superstar money if they get one of those guys. But I don't know that the budget is
0: going up for just, you know, an accumulation of people. If, if the Giants' budget doesn't go up, there's going to be a revolt. I mean, Greg Johnson's not going to be able to show his face at games, really. <laughs> Let's be does, honest. does he show his face at games? <laughs> I, I don't think so. But he's not going to be able to show his face at press conferences. And the Giants have a pretty reasonable press core compared to the East Coast.
1: That's for sure. I, I mean, the other thing is getting to the playoffs makes you money. I mean, the, the giants know that better than anybody that a playoff run is a really valuable asset. And if you don't make it a few years in a row, that hurts more than not spending helps. I think.
0: A playoff run with homegrown stars is yeah. a really valuable asset. People show up to Oracle park when that happens. So.
1: And it's, I would, I would like to think that that's going to be true.
0: <laughs> well, okay. I think, I think that'll wrap things up for us today, Roger. Um, You said enough brilliant things that I've got an episode headline.
1: We still don't have, uh, we still haven't talked about the AFL, but I am going to go out to the AFL later this, this fall. So at some point we'll definitely have a
0: chat about that. All right. Thank you so much, Roger. Have a good trip. See ya. Bye. Bye.